If you've ever watched The Office, then you're probably familiar with the character Andy Bernard. Played by Ed Helms, Andy provides some of the show's most memorable scenes, like punching a hole in the wall or his love of Cornell and acapella. So it's only fitting that he provided one of the best quotes from the whole series. In the final episode, he says, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. It was a great moment in the show, and it's sometimes how I feel about sports. It seems like some of the best moments in sports lore happen when we least expect them. Such was the case on March 2nd, 1962, when Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points for the Philadelphia Warriors and route to a 169-147 win over the New York Knicks. Now, obviously, this isn't really all that obscure of an event. Pretty much all basketball fans know about it. But stick with me here because it'll all make sense soon. I hope. Okay, so it was March 2nd, 1962. Wilt had a game for the books. Of course, his 100 points are still a coveted record in the NBA. The game also broke the record for most combined points in a game with 316, because the Knicks also scored 147. It was a combination of increased possessions and nobody playing defense. Also, some of the stories from that game are actually pretty hilarious. The Knicks were so determined not to let Chamberlain score 100 points that they would hold the ball on offense just to decrease the amount of possessions for the Warriors. So Philadelphia would respond by fouling just to get the ball back. As the 7-foot one Chamberlain approached 100 points, the public address announcer would call out his point totals every time he scored for the half-capacity crowd at Hershey Sports Arena. While that game has become a staple in basketball lore, it's weird to think that there's not footage of that entire game. In fact... None of the New York press even bothered to show up because the NBA wasn't all that popular at that point. Fast forward to today, the game is seen as a legendary event, and Wilt is of course held up as one of basketball's greatest stars. But at the time, not only did people seem to not care, those who did were often critical of the event. I think this quote from the New York Post pretty much sums up the general attitude. Basketball is not prospering because most normal-sized American youngsters or adults cannot identify themselves with the freakish stars. You just can't sell a 7-foot basketball-stuffing monster to even the most gullible adolescents. Jeez. Well, here's the thing. You actually don't have to be 7-foot-1 to score a lot of points. You can be a regular-sized human and still shatter scoring records. And there's a team you maybe haven't heard of that does just that. And I'll tell you about it. But first, do me a favor and subscribe to this podcast so you can stay updated on new episodes, which come out occasionally. Also, check out smalllegsdude.com. It's no secret that podcasting is a big thing these days. And it seems like a whole lot of people have their own podcast now. Pretty much anyone can do it. And there's this weird cynicism around that that I don't quite get. Like somehow it's a bad thing that it's easy for people to tell their stories. Personally, I think it's a good thing. I mean, when you think about it, cavemen used to draw on cave walls. Humans have just always needed that creative outlet. And that's partially why I created Small League Productions. I love helping brands, artists, and creators of all stripes get their content out to the world. Whether you're an entrepreneur, an artist, some combination of the two, or just someone looking to connect with an audience, I use my skills and experience to help others create their podcast. It's true, anyone can make a podcast, but not everyone knows how to make RSS feeds or edit audio or do sound design. 
but I love that stuff. I work closely with creators to make a podcast that's specific to them. Think of it like handcrafted podcasts. Hey, that actually sounds kind of cool. I might start using it. Anyway, the site is smallinksdude.com, and you can shoot me a message there if you want to create something together. Now, on to this episode of Obscure Ball. I'm calling it The System. Personally, I've never been known for my athletic achievements. Back in college, for instance, I was the captain of my college radio station's intramural basketball team. Now, to put it lightly, we were bad. Occasionally, I'd catch fire and score maybe six or seven points, and my friend Drew was good for about a three-pointer or maybe two per game. But we always lost. Badly. Even against a bunch of angsty, sexually frustrated frat guys, Scoring points proved difficult for us. Granted, we were the college radio nerds. We were a team where guys showed up in jean shorts and Chuck Taylors. That guy Drew I mentioned wore a long sleeve polo under his jersey, and half the team would take smoke breaks at halftime. The only indication that anyone on the team even cared about winning was when my friend Travis challenged a group of hecklers to a fight after a game. Yes, we actually got heckled during an intramural basketball game in which we trailed by 30 points. And Travis didn't get in a fight, thankfully. My point with all of that is that we were not really a team designed to win, or even score more than 20 points in a single game. But there is a team out there designed to score points. I mean, yeah, I get that the objective of the game of basketball is to score points, but I'm talking about something totally different. I'm talking about a style of basketball that maximizes offensive possessions and often centers around creating as many three-point opportunities for one player as possible. I'm talking about Grinnell College, a Division III program that has perfected this wildly entertaining form of basketball. Let's assume you've never heard of Grinnell College before, because a lot of people haven't. It's a small liberal arts college in Grinnell, Iowa, a town of about 9,000 in the central part of the state. Known mostly for their rigorous academic standards, their basketball team carved out a niche for themselves as well. It's called The System. First developed by head coach Dave Arsenal in the late 80s, Grinnell uses a style of run and gun, which was workshopped in the early 80s thanks to the coach of Loyola Marymount, a fellow named Paul Westhead, and before that, in the NBA back in the 60s. So you can kind of see how Chamberlain was such a prolific scorer. In a nutshell, run and gun features a high-paced offense designed to provide as many possessions as possible. Think like pretty much the opposite of what Tony Bennett does at Virginia. Now take that and put it on steroids, and you almost have the Grinnell system. Almost. Here are the basics of the system. A typical Grinnell roster consists of 15 to 20 players that rotate in and out in shifts of 4 to 5 players. So like a hockey line change almost. On offense, shoot the ball as soon as possible. Ideally three-pointers, and lots of them. Everyone but the shooter goes for the offensive rebound. Offensive rebounds would ideally be passed back to the shooter so he can try again and again if necessary. On defense, double-team the ball and either force a turnover or a quick shot. An uncontested layup is better than a shot clock violation. They also leave two players on offense, basically inviting the uncontested layup. Long outlet passes are made to the then-open shooter who can shoot a three-pointer if he wants it. Or to sum it up in formula, according to Arsenal, 
94 shots plus 47 three-point attempts plus 33% offensive rebounds, a shot differential of 25 plus forcing 32 turnovers results in a win for Grinnell. Since 1996, that's held true more than 90% of the time. Basically, the system curates a situation wherein Grinnell gets the ball way more often and therefore can score a lot more points, like an absurd amount. And in the case of Grinnell, they sometimes pick a designated shooter for the game. Get that guy the ball and let him go crazy, essentially. One of those guys was Jack Taylor, a 5'10 shooting guard from Black Rivers Falls, Wisconsin. And when he scored a mind-boggling 109 points during a 173-123 win over Crossroads College in 2013, it would have been impressive if he hadn't already scored 138 points a year earlier. By the way, that 138 points is an all-time NCAA record, so no major surprise there. The onslaught of points occurred during a 179-104 victory over Faith Baptist College. There's a lot of things here that are surprising. That a team could score 104 points and still lose by 75, or that a team could lose by 75 points. That a player could take 108 shots and make 52 of them, 27 of them being three-pointers. I mean, you take your pick. There's a lot of interesting things going on here. And the world took notice. NBA players like Carmelo Anthony chimed in. That's like a video game, Anthony told ESPN before noting that he's never taken 100 shots in a game, though he's always been told that he shoots too much. Kobe Bryant said it was impressive. I agree. Then the TV appearances started coming. Jimmy Kimmel, Dan Patrick, SportsCenter, The Today Show. They all picked up the story. For a 5'10 shooting guard from a small Wisconsin town, the spotlight was a change of pace. Now in the interest of full disclosure, I reached out to Jack for a comment on this story. In an email, he politely declined, but wished me well. So in order to be fair to him, I don't want to get too in-depth into his personal story, because a lot of that information is already out there, and I don't want to speculate too much without his input. So there's that. But like with all the positives, came the negatives. And while many corners of the internet, basketball world, and pop culture rallied behind Jack's 138 points, not everyone was buying it. As with anything different, the skeptics also had their say. Writing for Deadspin, Barry Pacheski called the system a bastardization of basketball and accused Arsenault of making a cottage industry of running up stats, pointing out the book he's written and instructional videos he's made as proof. A blogger named Tyler Burns took it a step further and broke down the box score on his blog. He too had a less than friendly view of that big game. While he gave Jack props for being a great shooter and ball handler, he ultimately concluded that the record is a sham. As evidence, he pointed to audio from the game in which the announcer revealed this was a game in which Grinnell planned to run up the score, and specifically, to allow one player to go for a record book kind of night. That night, Jack Taylor was that player. Okay, here's where I have to come clean. I started the story out wanting to be positive. I wanted to like Grinnell, and Jack Taylor's 138 points. And for the most part, I still do. I've watched the footage of that game, and Jack Taylor is a basketball player. He creates shots for himself, often dribbling through and around defenders, rolling off screens for backdoor layups. That guy can play, no doubt. He's also a great shooter. And I've long been fascinated by Grinnell College and their system. 
I first covered Grinnell back in 2011 when Griffin Lynch scored 89 points in a game. At the time, I was working for WAG in Greensboro and did a radio story on it. But hearing the announcers brazenly talk about purposely running up the score kind of bothered me. Remember that formula I talked about earlier? While watching the game on YouTube, I noticed it being employed. Grinnell missed a lot of shots, but they kept pushing the ball back out to Taylor for three-point opportunities, often foregoing an easy layup to do so. The other thing is, Faith Baptist College just wasn't very good that year. That game was actually an exhibition. Starting forward David Larson scored 70 points that night for Faith Baptist, mostly because his team chucked the ball over Grinnell's defense, giving Larson wide-open layups. Since that game didn't count for Faith Baptist, Larson only averaged three points for the season. So I get it. Not everyone is on board, and that's fair. But the criticisms of this style of play aren't exactly new either. When Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points a half century earlier, he and the Warriors faced their share of criticism as well. The New York Knicks, like Faith Baptist College, sucked. At 27-45, and 45, they were dead last in the league entering that game on March 2nd. Rumor has it that the Knicks starting center Phil Jordan was hungover and missing from action. Officially, he was listed as sick. That forced backups Daryl Imhoff and Cleveland Buckner. Yes, the Cleveland Buckner into action. Did my sarcasm translate there? Well, in any case, with two underachieving and undersized players to contend with Wilt, he went nuts. 36 of 63 from the field and 28 of 32 from the free throw line. He took 32 free throws. To sum up that game, it was by all accounts, dicey. I might have mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that the Philly players would often pass up open looks just to get Wilt the ball so he could score. The Knicks didn't love that. New York coach Eddie Donovan called the game a farce after the teams just traded fouls. The Knicks trying to hold on to the ball, and the Warriors fouling the Knicks to get the ball back, and then the Knicks in turn fouling the Warriors to keep Wilt from scoring, and ironically, Wilt Chamberlain, who was known as a bad free throw shooter, shooting close to 90% from the free throw line that night. Even Wilt himself acknowledged that he might have taken too many shots. In his autobiography, he claimed that his teammates all wanted him to score 100 points, so he just kind of went along with it. But you see, that's kind of the thing. It seems nearly impossible for someone to score 100 points without that situation being cultivated. Take Frank Selvey, for example. Selvey was a senior for Furman when he eclipsed the century mark in 1954. Selvey was an All-American and first overall draft pick in the 1954 NBA draft. As a pro, he was a two-time All-Star, and during his time at Furman, he became one of the school's most decorated players. So much so, that towards the end of his final season for the Paladins, his head coach Lyles Alley came up with the idea for Frank Selvey night. The idea was to pass the ball to Selvey early and often so he could score as many points as humanly possible. Sound familiar? They pulled out all the stops too. His family and half of his hometown of Corbin, Kentucky showed up. They scheduled a bad team, Newberry College, and called up the TV stations. This game would be the first game in South Carolina ever to be on national TV. And for his part, Selvey delivered. En route to a Furman win, he racked up 100 points. Fabulous Frank, as he was known, 
took 61 shots that night, making 41 of them. And this was before the three-point line, so in today's game, he would have probably had more. Plus, on top of that, he made 18 free throws. Of course, in 1954, there was no dead spin or bloggers to bash Furman and Selvi. There was no guy shouting on sports talk radio, and there were no podcasters. But even then, Selvi's game had its share of critics, including Frank Selvi. Sometimes I'm almost embarrassed I scored that many points, he once said. Selvi also noted that Newberry was a D2 school, so not exactly stiff competition. But we're going to go a bit deeper here. Eleven days before Frank Selvi night, a guy named Bevo Francis also had a big game, scoring 113 points. Francis was a 6'9 center playing for Rio Grande, an NAIA school in Ohio. He dropped 113 points against Hillside College. Not even his best performance. A year earlier, he amassed 116 against Ashland Junior College, a game that doesn't officially count because, well, Ashland's a junior college. Despite being something of a folk hero and one of basketball's most prolific scorers, his 100-point performances are largely lost to time. It's worth noting, however, that Francis scored 50 or more points on 20 different occasions. In the 1953-54 season, he scored 39 against Villanova, 48 against Miami, 41 on Providence, and 32 against Wake Forest, including the game winner. In other words, Bevo Francis was a good basketball player. Full stop. You have to be to score 100 points. Just like Jack Taylor was a good player. Frank Selvi too. And oh yeah, Will Chamberlain, he belongs in that category of good basketball players. When I was reading up on the stories of these big games and the players behind them, I kept coming back to that Andy Bernard quote from earlier. I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. I wonder if these players feel the same way. Jack Taylor had his sights on playing Division I basketball. Then he got hurt. His story arc ended with two games of scoring 100 points or more. And he used that as a platform to share his Christian faith with people. Something he's always wanted to do. And in a recent video marking the seven-year anniversary of the 138, Jack said that he's thankful for his 138 points because it pushes him to be better in every aspect of his life. Frank Selvey dreamed of playing basketball for Adolph Rupp at Kentucky, but was refused a scholarship because he was only six foot. His time at Furman led him to the NBA where he was a two-time All-Star. Bevo Francis still holds several NAIA and NCAA scoring records, and Wilt Chamberlain is a Hall of Famer and notorious ladies' man. And Coach Arsenal at Grinnell? Grinnell College was a losing program when he took over. Now they're a mainstay in the postseason, and pretty much always lead the nation in scoring. The system was originally designed for players to have fun and stay engaged in the game. It's turned into a winning formula. Take their game on November 24th of this year against Providence, Manitoba. They won 172 to 95. Five players scored in double figures and they got 95 points off the bench. So it's not all about setting records. Everyone really can get involved. Like everything else, People can decide for themselves if the system is a legit thing or not, if Will Chamberlain deserves more or less credit, or if they even care about Bevo Francis and Frank Selvi. But they could at least put the ball through the hoop, which is more than my intramural team could say. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of Obscure Ball. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so you can get new episodes whenever they come out. 
which is occasionally. Until then. <laughs>